Hello and welcome back to the Georgia 2024 show. This is a special edition because last night we had a big breaking development where the Haldeman report was finally released, forced to be released by a federal judge, and the whole world is a buzz. I'm sure you've seen this on other news networks, but we wanted to really delve into the details today. We've got my co-host Bill Quinn. Thanks for joining us again, Bill. Garland Favorito's on the hook to come on shortly. Christine Dolan our chief investigative correspondent at CDM and the Georgia Record may join us, but she's literally on the phone uh, talking to sources about multiple issues in Georgia and has been for the last two hours. So she may walk in and join us. We'll see. But uh, I'm going to ask you again to support us with our no-ad subscriptions. We, we need more of these, to be blunt. Um, we are not supported by Zuckerberg. We don't get Soros money. We don't get uh, even advertisements on Google because they've deplatformed us. So we need your help individually. Sign up for our no-ad subscriptions. We've got 12 different websites around the world. You will not find the news that you see on CDM anywhere else. I mean, we, of course, we have some of the same stories that people need to know, but we break news stories around the world and are literally in different states, very critical to election fraud every day. So thanks for joining us. Sign up for our no-ad subscriptions. You can find them on any of our websites, and you get to see all of CDM with no ads. So thank you for that. So Bill, wow, uh, we just came off the convention and then boom, this hits last night, pretty, pretty powerful and uh, pretty stunning victory for election integrity in Georgia. Well, it's been a long time coming. Uh, this uh, report actually came out uh, back in 2021 and was uh, almost instantly sealed uh, by the court. So uh, thankfully it's available now and, and holds some stunning revelations about the risks that are uh, uh, in Georgia's voting systems today. Um, and perhaps more importantly, the lack of interest in uh, from the Secretary of State's office in dealing with them. So lots to talk about. So I'm going to bring in our great friend of the show, Garland Favorito. Garland, thank you for joining us. Todd, thank you for having you. Bill, good to see you. you so too, we sir. were in the convention together talking about the astounding developments there, and boom, we have this right after the convention. So uh, it's you know never a dull moment in Georgia, Todd. It is, and we're living real history right here. So yeah. what, what's the background? Why was this finally released? How did it happen? Um, you know, Todd, I really don't have a clear, straight answer on that question. Um, our, one of our co-founders, our co-founder is a, is a plaintiff in the case, in the Curly v. Ravensburg case, uh, why the uh, Judge Totenberg decided to release it yesterday is still somewhat of a mystery. Uh, we're trying to find out. She has sat on this for two years, and it's very critical to the security of elections nationwide. Mm -hmm. um, I, but I honestly can't answer that question. So it was her that released it. I didn't know that. I thought it was another judge. It was her that just finally released it. Well, yeah, yeah. She is overseeing the Curling v. Ravensburger case. And, I mean, she's made some incredibly uh, uh, superb rulings in the case. Um, but why she chose to sit on this uh, is and then release it now, is that's a baffling mystery. Well, you've had some interesting things happen, like YouTube came out and said, well, we're going to talk about election fraud now. So it's almost yeah. like they're trying to get all the dirty laundry out and let's move on to the next way to steal elections. Yeah, they, they can talk about it all they want, uh, but I'm not, we're not going to be talking much about it on the YouTube. Yeah, exactly. They made their bed. Yeah, that's a, um, 
That's a so, CIA. Right, that's a, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you've got some slides. Do you want to walk through those, uh, Bill? Uh, sure. Um, le let me just give uh, the background uh, a little bit. And then if y'all do have uh, want to show the slides, that's great. Um, the um, So let's back up to 2002 real quickly. When Georgia implemented its first unverifiable voting system, it was the paperless direct recording electronic system. And that was back in 2002. I, I wrote uh, to the assistant secretary and the evaluators back then that the system was not verifiable to the voter. It's not auditable uh, to the uh, elections officials. And you can't even recount a, a race for the candidates. It just reprints the previous unverifiable results. So I contended then in 2002 that it, that was uh, probably an unconstitutional system. We went to the Georgia Supreme Court. They just blew us off. And then all the, fast forward all the way to 2017, the Curling v. Ravensburger case was filed. And immediately, um, people have forgotten this, but immediately upon his files, the Secretary of State's office, Center for Election System up at Kennesaw State, wiped their servers so that they could not find the evidence after we had uh, the system was found to have been hacked. And that, when I say the system, I'm talking about the Georgia uh, election system that serves all the counties and all the voting machines statewide. That thing had been wide open for fraud um, ever since they set it up back in 2003. So the uh, Curling v. Raffensperger was filed then and um, after that. And the judge did agree and find uh, uh, just, I guess it was in 2019, that the old system was in fact unconstitutional, just like I said 17 years earlier. And they she banned it for, from future use and uh, about that same time concluded that the Secretary of State's office was, quote, not credible, unquote. Uh, that's in her order that's up on the VoterGA.org homepage. And then... Um, the Secretary of State then went out and bought this new system. The legislature mandated ballot marking devices. It should have never done that. Uh, and the, um, the Ravensburger, against our will and against the people who had my personal um, comments with him, I suggested he not buy a QR code voting system. He bought it anyway. And then Judge uh, Totenberg um, ruled that the, that system would violate two statutes. So as part of that whole case, uh, Professor Alex Halderman was a witness, uh, an expert witness on behalf of the plaintiffs in that case. Alex Halderman has a fantastic history. He was on the team at Princeton University in 2006 or seven, I can't remember which, I believe it was 2006, when they demonstrated before the, the Committee of House um, Administration in U.S. Congress a hacking of the very Debole voting system that we uh, use here in Georgia. They conducted a mock election. They showed, I think it was either three or five votes cast for George Washington, printed out the results, and it showed that Benedict Arnold had won the race. So that was demonstrated live before the United States Congress in 2006. And Dr. Haldeman was at that time a student uh, on, on uh, the team, the Princeton University team that put that together under uh, Professor Ed 
Felton. So fast forward, um, now Professor uh, Haldeman is up in University of Michigan. And this, port, this report was done a couple of years ago on behalf of that case. And it was finally released uh, just yesterday, I guess. So that's a little bit of the background and history that I think maybe the people, uh, the listeners might want to know uh, before we get into more details. So as we do that, I have one question. This, the report in the case, the case is a Georgia case. The report speaks to BMDs in Georgia, but essentially these are the same devices that are used in a vast majority of states. Is that correct, Carlin? Yeah, that's right, Bill. Um, now, Georgia is the only state in the union that uses these uh, statewide. But as you said, they are used in various counties, probably in about 20, uh, 25 states. I, I don't know what the exact number is. I think it's 28 states that actually have Dominion systems uh, installed of some kind. So Garland, talk to us about what the, the main takeaways are from this report being released. Um, well, wow. Uh, the main takeaway, if you had to sum it up, is that the ballot marking devices are insecure and subject to hacking. And um, uh, Professor Haldeman goes through a variety of ways in which he actually hacked the system. Uh, and it, it's fascinating to, to read some of the things. But basically, Todd, all it does is confirm exactly what we've been saying for the last two years. The main difference here is that now we have the academic research and detail to support the beliefs that we have had and our comments for the last two years that the system, in, in fact, is, is by all means uh, vulnerable to, to uh, all kinds of fraudulent attacks. And what has Brad Raffensperger and, and Brian Kemp said about these machines not being able to be hacked? Um, basically, they said, don't worry about it. That's kind of the, the nutshell of it. And as you remember, uh, Brad Raffensperger said we had a safe and secure uh, 2020 election. Uh, we have documented for the last two years overwhelming evidence to prove that he lied. Uh, it was not a safe and secure election. It was actually probably the most corrupt election in the history of the state of Georgia based on the number of attacks that this system uh, got and this, the election in general. Uh, not all electronic voting. Some were, as y'all know, uh, ballot trafficking, uh, bribery through Zuckerbucks and all sorts of things uh, impacted the 2020 election. In addition, to the electronic uh, voting aspect. Um, what's interesting about this report, Todd, is that it is only the ballot marking device that Professor Haldeman analyzed. If he had had the amount of time that he, that he had to analyze the scanners, I believe that he would have come up with exactly uh, a very similar type of findings on the scanners and even maybe even more, more blatant since uh, we have found that those scanners have been actually uh, manipulated as well, or at least the results from the scanners in regards to the ballot images. So and there's, there's no doubt in your mind that Raffensperger and Kemp were not telling the truth when they said this was a safe election. 
Oh, they have to know that it wasn't a safe election. I mean, they, they, you know, politicians are programmed to lie. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't think that anybody outside the Secretary of State's office thought that Georgia had a safe, honest, and secure election, uh, except for, I guess it was Krebs up there at the CISA when he said that it was the most secure election in uh, American history. Uh, probably one of the greatest lies that's ever been told to the American people. So Christine Dolan joined us. She's our chief U.S. State Correspondent. Yeah. Um, she's had some thoughts on the legal side. Christine, you were. Well, the, the one thing that, that caught my attention today was that Sisters and Dominion had seen Haldeman's report, even though it was under seal. So I always go back to Howard Baker's question back in Watergate, who knew what one? And if CISIS and Dominion have seen this report before it was unsealed yesterday and they did not turn it over to discovery in the Fox case on the eve of that case going to trial, what are the legal implications of that? And also we learned today that Haldeman was on a panel at a D.C. circuit judge, for lack of a better word, convention in D.C., where appellate judges, circuit judges were sitting in the audience. And the topic was cybersecurity. And he had shared some of his findings about the risks and lack of security in our election system. So the fact, you know, who, the, the fact that everybody's been saying since 2020 that this is a safe and, you know, secure and the most, the mo the most secure election in the history of America how many people do you guys think knew about this report? Because obviously it was sealed in the courts, but people had knew the information and the fact that Dominion actually knew about this investigation. Well, that's right. So, the, uh, Christine, so the CISA re report um, uh, in regards to um, the Halderman report and the Curling v. Ravensburger case, that was shared with CISA. And since it came out with a preliminary report, you might remember, and it had that they had identified nine vulnerabilities in the Dominion uh, ICX ballot marking device. Uh, and that uh, they recommended extensive auditing uh, for that. And that was also confirmed by uh, John Poulos, the uh, head of Dominion, that he recommends extensive auditing to protect uh, the integrity of the election results. So the report was shared with the defendants in this case two years ago. That's Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Uh, I'm not sure that that included the state election board. It may have. I've got to go back and check that. But we know that Brad Raffensperger has had this report for two years. Um, and uh, in spite of that, he's uh, basically uh, continued to, uh, to talk, you know, just really provided his same old propaganda uh, for, for the last two years on, on that, uh, saying that everything was fine. And, you know, we, we knew it wasn't fine. And, of course, you know, Alex Halderman knew it wasn't fine and many, many, many other folks. So, so they've had the report. As you said, Dominion's had the report. Um, Sisters had the report. And all the, really all the folks that continue to cover up uh, have had this report. So, so for I can hear the audience saying, you know, in my ear, Garland, 
when did these people see this report? Because this report was written, correct me if I'm wrong, this report was, what year was this report written? I've lost it. Was, it was written two, two years ago, 21. Two years ago. All right. So two years ago, it just seems to, when, was, when did Raffensperger get a copy of it? When did Sissus get a copy of it? When did Dominion get a copy of it? They all got a copy of it uh, almost immediately upon the completion of the report. It was filed uh, and, and it was uh, distributed to uh, the parties of the case. Um, uh, and of course, Dominion and Sissus were not parties of the case, but they, I believe, got a copy at, right around that time, two years ago. So uh, I'm unclear exactly how this became unsealed in the last 24 hours. You may have spoken about it before I was able to join, the, but, but how, how did it become unsealed? Because it wasn't Judge Totenberg who unsealed it. Actually, was he said it? It, it was. It yeah. was? Yeah. How, how, how did Totenberg change? How did the judge's mind change? Well, we, we don't know the answer to that question. Todd asked me that earlier before you joined. And the truth, the, the simple fact is, what changed her mind uh, suddenly? Uh, and maybe it wasn't suddenly. Maybe she's been thinking about doing this for two years. Um, but uh, I, we don't know. But the report is of such magnitude as that it should have never been sealed in the first place because the elections officials around the country needed to know this in order to protect their systems and their voters throughout America from the type of hacking risk that uh, that Professor Halderman identified. It, it, leaving that open uh, basically made the entire country vulnerable for the last two years, and particularly in the 2022 elections. So then the next question I have is, who initially filed for the, for the report to be sealed? Well, the judge took it upon herself to seal it. She refused uh, multiple requests uh, to unseal that and to have it available. The Secretary of State of Louisiana requested a copy. Uh, OAN and Fox News requested a copy to defend themselves in their lawsuit with Dominion. Um, there's a variety, I think Mike Lindell as well, um, there were a variety of folks who have requested uh, copies of the report, and uh, Judge Totenberg, for whatever reason, uh, decided to to keep that under wraps for two years. So, so it seems to me, all right, that if Dominion had a copy of it. If Fox News had requested that it be unsealed before Judge Totenberg, that she decided not to unseal it until after the settlement of that case, which may have nothing to do with why she unsealed it, I, I might just add. Mm -hmm. The fact that she knew the importance of it, that she kept it under seal, that may be a judicial action against her, that she knowingly knew that it was exculpatory you know, information for Fox because Dominion did not turn it over during discovery, or maybe they did. But if they did, it certainly seems to me as a news organization that Fox should have put it out there as well before before it was unsealed last night for the country. Well, 
sure. Uh, I mean, the whole the whole settlement between Fox and Dominion reeks of suspicion. Uh, first of all, the burden of proof for Dominion was nearly astronomical. They would have to prove that um, that Fox maliciously attempted to damage Dominion. Uh, that would be the first hurdle that they would have to get over. And as y'all, as you know, most of the comments that were about Dominion were made by guests, not by Fox News hosts. The second thing is the total value of Dominion as a company is 50 to 80 million bucks, maybe at the time. There is no reason on earth why Fox News would have paid them $787 million or whatever the number was. Uh, that reeks of suspicion. And then you turn around and we find out later that Dominion, uh, apparently their agent who formerly worked for Joe Biden was involved in getting uh, Tucker Carlson fired. At least that's what it appears from some of the inside reports we're hearing from Fox News. So uh, all of this reeks as some type of a major scheme to prevent truth from coming out it's an information about, operation about the elections. Yeah. yeah, it's major censorship by institutions, okay. by judicials, by and by the courts. I mean, it, it's it's significant. Well, and even Fox News in this case, this is this. It's really uh, it's amazing. There's something more there than we know right now, uh, but I'm anxious to find out what actually. So um, I think Fox has uh, gone the way of Bud Light, to be honest. But what? It, I don't see how you can hold an elections with these machines, first of all. That's point number one. And point number two, all these lawsuits Dominion filed are moot at this point. Am I wrong, essentially? Well, here, what Dominion sued Fox over was the fact that they uh, there were some guests or uh, folks who implied that Dominion was in on the fix of the 2020 election. Yeah. That was the issue. There was never an issue about whether or not the Dominion system was vulnerable. That was not what the case was about. We all know, have always known it's vulnerable, uh, and uh, Dr. Professor Holderman's report proves it. But that was the essence of the lawsuit. Uh, but to your point, Todd, um, yeah, it, it, Halderman's last comments, uh, to get to your point, it says that, in my view, it would be extremely difficult to retrofit security into a system that was not initially produced with such a process. And he went, he went through great detail to explain that uh, uh, the system was designed that way. He says the critical vulnerabilities in the ICX, which is the ballot marking device, indicate that it was developed without sufficient attention to security during the design, software, engineering, and testing. So, which is absolutely right. Why would you design a QR-coded voting system after 15 years of people complaining about the unverifiability of the old paperless DREs? And so what he concludes here is that this system cannot be fixed. Uh, it is not patchable. Uh, he's very, very clear about it. Uh, and to have that withheld for two years is, is almost crim criminal. Um, so it, what's the status of your lawsuit? 
you're still waiting a hearing? Well, here's what's interesting, Todd. The day before this report came out, the Court of Appeals ruled against us in our lawsuit, which we're seeking relief against this system. Uh, they had to know that it was coming. Uh, it's too coincidence. And, and when the initial Superior Court ruling ruled against us, they, uh, the judge there, Judge Adams, ruled against us on the exact day that DeKalb County uh, found that the D District 2 Commission race uh, had the wrong results. The Dominion voting system produced the wrong results in the DeKalb County District 2 uh, Commission race, which I think we've talked about on your show before. That was when Michelle Halderman Spears, uh, I'm sorry, Michelle uh, Long Spears got cheated out of 3,000 votes and the machines failed to count 1,800. Uh, that the same day was when the judge ruled against us. So obviously she had gotten wind of that. And that then, was Judge Adams, was she the one that said, well, I don't think Judge Totenberg meant that, the machines were- Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I mean, it's absolutely a sanity. We didn't go into her court to re-adjudicate the issue. Yeah. We went into the court to get relief. The same thing with the Court of Appeals. We went into the court to get relief and the Court of Appeals is attempting to, uh, to re-adjudicate the issue by saying, well, that's not what the statute, we're not going to interpret the statute that way. Well, Judge Totenberg has looked at more evidence than ever has been compiled in an electronic voting case in the state of Georgia. She has gotten numerous experts' reports. She issued two rulings totaling 300 pages that were absolutely scathing. Uh, that's all up on the voterga.org homepage. And uh, for some some court to come in, some lower court in Georgia to come in and never look at a shred of evidence and then claim that Judge Totenberg was wrong, that's total corruption of the Georgia judicial system all the way. So, so they, they disallowed your uh, demand for relief in Totenberg case is what you're saying. Correct, correct. Mm -hmm. So now we're faced with either uh, filing another writ of appeal to the Georgia Supreme Court or letting it go and just focus on uh, the Curling v. Ravensburger case. Um, we've won one already at, in the Georgia Supreme Court. We've overturned the Court of Appeals and the Superior Court. We uh, are considering whether or not we want to do that for the second time. Interesting. So concurrent with the release of the Halderman report yesterday, there was a release from the Coalition of Good Governance, one of the um, plaintiffs, an organization. Right acting as a plaintiff in the case. And they make a couple of interesting points. And, and I bring them up because so many of the things we just got through talking about have this sense of things moving in the shadows that you can't see yet indicate um, things that people need to be aware of. So one, one point that they call out in their release is that CISA, after reviewing Dr. Haldeman's findings, um, recommended that the risks found should be mitigated as soon as possible, but that Georgia state officials have essentially done nothing. And in fact, um, they call out that uh, from uh, by counsel for Raffensperger, they don't intend to do anything until sometime in 2025. And I find that date um, somewhat uh, ominous. So Garland, do you wanna make a comment on that? Well 
I think they want to uh, conduct the election uh, on, on this software and they want to get through this election and because they've already got it set up to produce the results that they want. But most importantly there is that Professor Haldeman was very clear and he's very right. This system cannot be fixed. There are too many security holes in it there are there, there are too many security uh, uh, problems, and it's not just it's not just the electronic part of it. It is the whole concept of voting on electronic voting machines, regardless of what the vendor is, whether it's ESNS or Dominion. This concept is fatally flawed for a variety of ways. The way that the, the systems are certified are inadequate. They are not examined. Uh, they are loaded with foreign uh, hardware parts that can easily be corrupted. Uh, there, there's a variety of things. And their logic and actually testing cannot prove that the system counts is counting correctly on election day. The, uh, the secretaries of state in general uh, refuse to make their ballots public record to verify the results. And they uh, don't nearly conduct enough auditing. We only audit one race here every two years. So the whole concept uh, of trying to patch this to make it, uh, to make, and somehow make everybody think it's going to be all right, uh, that's just not reality. Reality is we need to unplug Georgia, unseal ballots, and unleash transparency through the election process and that's what our new campaign behind me is all about. I find it interesting that after so many people have brought up the, um, some call them QR codes, some call them barcodes, but the code that is non-human readable, um, Dr. Haldeman even talks about that in the context of the report and admits, you know, given the vulnerabilities that can be changed and that is what's used to count. So essentially, the vulnerabilities allow that code to redefine what the voter thought they chose during the election. Uh, yeah, that is exactly right, uh, Bill. Um, and um, I was looking for that quote there, but it says attackers can alter the QR codes on printed ballots to modify voter selections. Uh, attackers can forge and manipulate smart cards as well. But the, the QR code that, you know, it can be changed and the voters would never know it. And almost all races are not audited. It's absolutely absurd for any secretary of state to tell us what the results are, are and to say, we're not gonna show you the ballots. That is Wizard of Oz voting if I've ever heard it. Mm -hmm. So is your case, uh regarding the Fulton County ballots, is that still hung up as well? Yeah, that case, the Fulton County counterfeit ballot case is currently was kicked all the way back to the Superior Court by the Georgia Supreme Court that ruled that yes, we have always had standing, all citizens, residents, taxpayers, and voters have always had standing to sue elections officials or agencies who violate the law. Once that got all the way back to Judge Amaro, Judge Amaro has attempted now to transfer the case to Judge McBurney, who sat over the Fonnie Willis investigation of the alleged Trump Raffensperger phone call. And uh, we have filed a motion to recuse him from that case because of his 
actions in that as well as the Purdue case in which he showed extreme extrajudicial bias, which should disqualify him immediately from presiding over our case. So, you know, you mentioned the uh, call with Raffensperger. That throws all of this into question, even the indictment against Trump on this issue. Because, you know, he was right. The machines were vulnerable and there was every right to ask this about this not being a fair election. Am I correct in your view? Well, yes, absolutely. And there hasn't been an indictment against right. Trump for that specific thing. There's yeah. speculation that Fonnie Willis might do that. I, um, I don't know that she will. Uh, everything that I'm hearing indicates that that grand jury uh, basically is a, has suddenly dropped that whole phone call thing and, and they don't even want to talk about it. So I don't, uh, I don't know if she would actually do that. She might want to go after some you know, lower ta targets to fill her political agenda, which is all that is. Um, so I, it's hard to say, but yet to your point, Todd, absolutely. The president has been right all along. Uh, this was an incredibly corrupt Georgia election, more corrupt than what the president has even said. Uh, it is way more corrupt than that, but he has told the truth all along and uh, we have the evidence to prove that. And it's, it's, it's publicly available on our website. We don't, we had nothing. So uh, it, it's available for all to see and, um, yeah, yeah, um, you're absolutely correct. Tom. And there's another one more. There's another point in that the Florida stuff we've been doing with Chris Gleason and others. This just gives massive support to looking into that whole issue as opposed to the courts ignoring it uh, with the blank ballot issue and, and all of that in Florida, which is across the state. Right. Florida is a little bit better in terms of getting access to ballots than Georgia is, but. The bottom line is, but they won't uh, give the reports that show the the fraud, and then exactly. they the law saying that we, they should no longer produce those reports, called the right. Integrity Act. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that was a tra traversity. Um, yeah. So, and and this is you know you hit upon something. This is a problem that is national. It's mm -hmm. a national issue where elections officials attempt to hide and cover up the, uh, the facts of an election because they just want a quiet election. They don't care about whether the right person actually won. So my understanding on that bill, um, and I forget the number. 70-50. My understanding is that the, the county elections officials and one leader in particular had a lot of input into that bill. Yes. A, so a lot of the corruption and that was in there came from that, the county officials. Um, so yeah, uh, the election association, whatever you call it. Yeah, the election association. I'm, yeah. I'm having trouble keeping up with, um, um, with Georgia, and I am not able to keep up with Florida too. So, but, but uh, it's you know it's it's the election officials here don't have quite as much power as they do they did in Florida. Yeah. Um, they have less input into the bill. Typically, that comes from the Secretary of State's office here in Georgia. Well, here, here's something I just want to raise. <clears throat>
Haldeman testified before Congress, and I can't remember the, the, the year, but I, maybe 2016, in 2017, I think it was after 2016. And at that point in time, he was raising, he, he raised the issue of recounting on behalf of Hillary in, in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and some states, just the way he had concluded in 2020 that there were problems <clears throat> with the system. But how many of the people around Trump knew about Haldeman? And if they did, why didn't they explain that to him? Because it seems to me that somewhere in the conversation of the last, you know, two and a half, almost two and a half years now since the 2020 election, that somebody should have put up and talked about Haldeman's testimony. Did they ever do that? Because Garland, you've been in the weeds of this. Uh, not to my knowledge, Christine, uh, the Republicans in general had been asleep until 2020. Um, you know, when we started back in 2002, most of our immediate um, supporters were Democrats, uh, but who they felt that they had gotten cheated in 2002. Then the Libertarians uh, joined us. Then the grassroots Republicans joined us, thinking that they had been cheated by the Republican establishment. Uh, and so generally it built into a movement. But the point is, you have to lose an election before you wake up. And unfortunately, what happened was Donald Trump had to get cheated out of the election before the Republicans uh, awoke. Uh, and uh, now it's exciting because everybody's awake, the Democrats and the Republicans. They all know it's wrong. And uh, we just have to fix it now. Yeah. And you think the legislative session in January is the place to do that? Well, I would love to see a special session call and fix it right now because you don't have enough time to get much passed before the March primary. Uh, about the only thing that we can hope for is to get probably is to get unsealing of the ballots passed into law, making it uh, making those ballots available for the March primary and providing extra chain of custody on the ballots. Those two bills have already passed out of committee. They could literally get passed uh, through the House and the Senate in a matter of days, signed into law by the governor and implemented in time for the March election. Uh, that, that absolutely is the minimum that would have to be done to provide any security for this upcoming uh, presidential primary. Well, Colin, I know you have slides, but that's all on your website. So people can go and look at the details. I don't think we need to go through them. I know you went on, went through them on Bannon, but is yeah. there anything else you want to get out while we're live here? Um, not really, Todd. I think we've covered everything. Uh, just want to, uh, there's a couple last points. I just want to remind everybody that what the Haldeman report is, is it's still limited to the Dominion ICX ballot marking device. And it is an academic report. What we found at Voter GA is actual real evidence that's on our website in our March 7th press conference, including the slides. And it shows that the uh, Dominion system ballot images were electronically altered before Fulton County 20, certified their 2020 results. So that is involving the output of the scanner, not necessarily the ballot marking device. And it actually happened. We have the evidence. This is not 
uh, something. It's not an academic report that's up on our website. So this corresponds and corroborates what Dr. Haldeman has uh, said, but it's actual real evidence. So the problem is even worse than what Professor Haldeman has laid out in this security analysis that he's done. So in order to keep that work doing uh, going, uh, we are, again, nonpartisan, nonprofit. I want to thank all your listeners, Todd, for their support uh, at VoterJ.org. And just reminding everybody, again, we're volunteers, including myself. We do not take a salary for our work. We just want to save Georgia. Bill, what, what, did you have anything on the slides you wanted to get I, out? Uh, I did have a, uh, a question for Garland. So one of the things, if I recall correctly, is that they suggest, to your point, the system isn't fixable in its in its form because it wasn't designed properly. Mm -hmm. Many people have been lobbying for um, a move away from uh, systems entirely and back to paper ballots. We're, what, 17, 18 months away from the next um, presidential election. Do we have time to pull that off? And what would what would be the first steps that would need to happen if we could? Yeah, so um, first of all, Yes, we certainly have time to pull off the un, yeah, most of it. We can unplug Georgia from voting machines. We don't have to use the ballot marking devices. And we can hand count the results in the, in the precincts on election night. Uh, it only takes about an hour longer. and You don't have to worry about any machine problems after that. That was already proven in Osage County, Missouri. So election day and not election month, correct? Exactly. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so... Um, that can be done before the March primary. It should be done before the March well, it has primary. To be done. These systems are not able to be used. Well, that's what uh, Professor Haldeman is saying there. That's why I think is the most significant takeaway, saying this cannot be fixed. Uh, that's the one, uh, I think, the new takeaway. Uh, nobody quite of that stature has come out and said that um, and with the with the evidence to back it up. So... I think that is uh, significant to your to your point, Bill. But yeah, we can get that. We can unplug Georgia. We can do hand-like paper ballots. We can hand count the results. Um, we may not be able to implement the ballot security paper that we need, but we certainly can implement the chain of custody procedures and unseal the ballots to check all those results. So there's a lot of stuff we could get done between now and then. Here's the reason for my question. As part of um, Dr. Haldeman's report, he, he draws some conclusions. And one of those states that Georgia's BMDs are so vulnerable that they are all but certain to be exploited by partisan actors. Basically, I, that, I read that as he's throwing down um, information that says this is not something we should do. And I think you said it just a moment ago, Todd. This is something we have to do. This has to be changed. Otherwise, we we might as well expect them to be hacked and, and uh, results to be changed. Uh, absolutely. And unfortunately, because of the two-year delay, the question comes up, can, can this get done before the March primary? So now all of a sudden, it's very tight. The, the deadline is very tight. So um, it didn't have to be this way. So I've got one last question. If Dominion advertises for safe and effective elections, isn't that false advertising? To get it to get well, a government contract, even though it's a state state. Well, contract? what 
I'll try to take Dominion's position on this. So what they would claim is that we have been very clear that you have to audit the results. John Poulos has been very clear on that, in fairness to him, as has CISA. And the Georgia election officials refuse to abide by that. So um, in fairness to Dominion, I would have to say that the real fault lies with the election officials, in particular, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. But at the same time, when Raffensperg is pronouncing that this was a, you know, the safest election, and he knows that he declined to order an audit, knowing that Dominion, that he was responsible for the contract with Dominion, it seems to me that somebody ought to take a look at the Dominion contract with the state of Georgia to find out what exactly, it's just that it goes, it almost goes back to what was the contract between pharma and FDA or DOD for the COVID shots. You have to go back to the contract to say, okay, fine. What was required? What did they represent? And then possibly there should be other lawsuits because this yes. you're, when you're saying that this is statewide in Georgia. That's that's one case. But I think, uh, Garland, you had said earlier in the show that there are 25 to 28 states on the count on various county levels in other states. So people should be standing up now off the bench, basically demanding that Dominion or the state secretary, secretary of state demand an audit if they're going to continue to use Dominion. But either way, if Dominion ever represented to the public that, you know, this, th this was the best that they could do, but they didn't do any oversight for risk, that's not a good enough reason to sign a contract with any company. Well, well, let me, let me let's talk about the contract, the Georgia contract with Dominion. The contract specifies that uh, tabulation is done by reading a barcode. That is illegal according to the United States District Court. In Georgia, a contract that has an illegal purpose is void. Uh, there, is, there are multiple case studies for that. Um, uh, Shea versus Best Buy Homes, contract to do an illegal thing is void. Smith versus Salisbury, but a contract does not fall within this principle void unless its object or purpose is illegal, the principle being void. And then in Hayes versus Adam, for the purpose of or object of a contract to be illegal, thereby making the contract void, the contract must require a violation of law when performed. The, the case precedence on this and those are coming from the U.S., uh, the Georgia Supreme Court, I believe. The case precedents are clear that the system is illegal and that the contract should be void in the state of Georgia. And I'd be, inter I'd be interested to know how that falls across the other states for the various counties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that one I can't tell you because I'm just trying to keep up with Georgia. So if people want to, if they're in Kansas watching this show and you want to help the tip of the spear of election fraud across the country, VoterGA.org is where you can go and donate money and, and help Garland and spread his word. And also, please sign up for our CDM no-ad subscriptions so we can continue bringing all this critical information to the public really around the globe. Uh, anybody else have anything before we close? 
Okay. We'll see you uh, Sunday on the Sunday show. Thank you. Thanks.